Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. So enjoy God's just being led into the Lord's throne room and preparing the heart. And uh, it just, I love that song, Quiet My, Quiet My Mind. Quiet My Mind, because, you know, it's in our minds that we block out the Lord. And uh, so I hope this morning your mind is quiet before you're still before the Lord that we're waiting on him to hear what he has to say to us. Anybody ready for the word of God this morning? Amen. A couple of you are, so that's great. So the rest of you, it's, you're going to get it anyway, so praise God for that. Hey, if you have a Bible, uh, open up to Galatians chapter 1 this morning. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll, we'll make sure you get one. We want you to have the word of God in your lap, so raise your hand real quick. We got people delivering Bibles out here this morning, so Galatians chapter 1. And uh, we are just excited to be in this new series called Unshackled. And uh, man, we are off to an incredible start as we are going verse by verse through the book of Galatians here. And um, the Apostle Paul, he wastes no time whatsoever in this, in this book. He gets right to the brass tacks of, the, of his apostolic calling and to the, to the message that he's been given to deliver, which is the gospel of grace. Now, by way of reminder, Paul is writing to a group of churches. It's not just a single church. It's not a letter to just one particular church or a person. It is to a group of churches that he himself had planted. And um, he, he was really dealing with uh, this issue of uh, there were some false teachers that had come in these churches, right, followed right behind him. As soon as he departed the, the, the area of um, Galatia, uh, these false teachers named Judaizers, which were essentially um, just legalistic, re- religious uh, fanatics that wanted the churches of Galatia to know that first and foremost, Paul was not called to the apostolic ministry, number one. That was their first claim. Number two is that the message that he gave was a man-centered gospel because it was so easy to get in. And so that is the reason why he is writing this letter. Um, first, he deals with this idea of, as we dealt with last week, if you missed the message, you can pick it up on iTunes, Google Play. You can go to our website, ccolumbia.org, and you can pick it up there. Or you can go to our YouTube channel, whatever, and you can watch the, the sermon or our Facebook page. So there you go. You have no excuse. If you missed last week, you have to listen to it now. But uh, the, the, basically, Paul. Uh, was first dealing with his calling. He, he starts out the letter. He says, Paul, an apostle, period. I am an apostle. Now, he, he gives us many reasons as we go through the letter of why he, of his apostolic calling. He will strengthen that this morning. But we talked about last week that really the, the, to be called to be an apostle was a special ministry. There were 12, period. There are not more, uh, you know, apostles in this day and age. There are people that call themselves apostles and that word simply means set one. Uh, you know, you want to call yourself an apostle in that sense, go for it. Uh, but really, honestly, uh, at the apostolic ministry was set apart for 12 men who were called to start what we are doing today. It's called the church. They, they were the guys that were sent into the world to start the church. And so that, that ministry was closed as of the 12th apostle who I believe is actually the Apostle Paul. We can argue about that after the service. But um, 
So that is what he is dealing with. He, he starts, starts to talk to them about this, his apostolic ministry. The reason why he was qual, uh, qualified for this ministry in particular was because first and foremost, he had been, he had seen the risen Christ. That was one of the requirements to be an apostle. Number two, uh, you know, Peter said in, in Acts chapter one that they must have been with Jesus from his baptism on. Now, the apostle Paul, as we talked about last week, was not with Jesus uh, for the three years that he ministered on the, on the face of the earth. However, the apostle Paul was directly discipled by Jesus three years in the desert. How, it's amazing how God makes sure that, you know, we, we fit the pieces of the puzzle that man will put together. But um, Paul fit the criteria to be an apostle. And so there's no question about that. But, but here's the thing is, he didn't have a piece of paper. He didn't have the apostolic seal of approval by, you know, Peter and all the rest of the apostles. And so he wasn't carrying that credential that man would look to. You know, back in this day and age, the big deal would be if you were a Jew would be, hey, uh, who did you study under? Are you of uh, the Hillel group or are, are you of, you know, there's two separate groups. And, he, and, and, and the, the idea of what is your sway and what is your bent and what are your credentials? You see, it was, it was about, about more about the study than it really was about the Holy Spirit, about God's calling upon a person's life. Now, we know, of course, because we are so studious and we study the Bible and we understand that it, the, the Holy Spirit separates, separates people out for callings, and those callings are things that we'll see this morning are things that were preordained by God from the foundation of the world, that God had created you and designed you for a specific ministry. You don't have to find the ministry. It will find you. God will tell you as you are walking with him exactly what he created you to do. Now, Paul, uh, you know, th these guys wanted to see some kind of a credential as we deal with even in this day and age. As a pastor, you know, sometimes people come in here and most people understand the way Calvary Chapel works. So it's a little easier for me. But being in the South, there are many people that will come in and go, okay, well, hey, how are you? Uh, where'd you go to school? Uh, well, I didn't go to school. I didn't go to seminary. I didn't, I don't have a piece of paper. I didn't pass some tests that man made so that I could say, here's my piece of paper. Am I qualified now? Here's the reality. And I don't say that because I don't have that. Uh, because I've, here, here's my story real quick. When God called me to the ministry, it was in my bedroom at 5 a.m. when I was seeking his face, just worshiping him. And he gave me a scripture out of Luke chapter 4, verses 42 through 48. You can read it later. But he told me that I was going to be leaving my city and going to preach the gospel to other cities. And so I understood that. I understood right then and there that was my calling. I had a word from the Lord. The Holy Spirit continued to confirm that throughout my um, several years of seeking out what exactly that meant. It was several years before I would actually fulfill the calling God would prepare me himself. I was prepared to, my wife and I were going to leave our, the city we were living in. We were going to move out to California. I was going to go to Bible college, sell, the, sell my business, my, my stake in my business that I had. And we were going to go do that. And the Lord said, no. I'm thinking, that's really careless of you, Lord, to send me out this way. And yet the Lord understood, probably for me, more than anything, that I wouldn't be puffed up with some kind of knowledge or some kind of piece of paper that would say that I did something in order to stand in this pulpit. I've done nothing. I've done nothing. Everything that the Lord does through me is, is grace, and ultimately it's Him doing it, not me at all. 
If I, if I get in the middle of it, I'll mess it up. You guys know. That's the way it works. And so, you know, the reality is Paul is telling these fellas, you, you've got it all mixed up. It's not about a piece of paper. Is the Holy Spirit upon a person's life? That, that qualifies them for the office that God has set them over. It's the Holy Spirit. There's evidence of that, as we talked about last week. There's fruit in the ministry that you um, are part of. And so Paul just simply says, look at the fruit of my ministry. You know, he told the church, the church of Corinth, he said, you guys are the proof that I'm an apostle. The fact that I was able to walk in here and bring the gospel to you and many of you have come to Christ, you are my proof. He's telling, I mean, the churches in Galatia, they are his proof. They are his fruit. They are the fact that God had called him into that apostolic ministry. So we see that now. Not only were they questioning his authority, but also the message he preached. Paul's message was very simple. And if you guys remember last week, what the, the, the equation for uh, you know, freedom was, true freedom was, what is it? It was Jesus plus what? Jesus plus nothing equals liberation or true freedom. That is the equation. That is the gospel of grace. That's the message that Paul the apostle was teaching. He was simply saying, uh, it's Jesus plus nothing. That's how you become free to serve the Lord. Uh, you know, and it is by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. It's important that you and I are firm in our foundation as it relates to our salvation. It's, it, we, it is very crucial, even as you walk with the Lord, the more that you continue to grow in Christ, that you understand that premise that it's not you. It's not what you've done. It's what Christ has done. You cannot add a single iota to your salvation. Christ has done it all. He paid the price 100%. You offer nothing except for surrender to him and service to him the rest of your life. But that is not payment. That is just saying, God, thank you. Amen? That, that's the point. It is, that we, it is a Jesus plus nothing gospel, and it is by grace. That means that it is not merited favor, but it is unmerited. Nothing you've done to get it. These Judaizers were coming behind Paul, and they were saying, no, 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 no. You have the wrong equation. The equation ought to be Jesus plus something. Jesus plus something equals true, true freedom, and that is a lie from the enemy. Uh, let me just do the math for you as I did last week. You know, Jesus plus something equals condemnation. Jesus plus something equals condemnation. The reality is that if you're depending on something plus Jesus, you're not depending on Jesus. You have not fully surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ, and therefore you do not have that gift of salvation because it's a gift. It's not merited favor. It is unmerited favor. Nothing you can do. And if you can get to the end of that by the end of your life, praise God, but I'm still working through that myself. It blows my mind that God loved me that much, that he would give himself up for me, that, he would, for free, that I could freely believe in him and I could have salvation. And I know that messes with our minds because we are people, and people want to contribute something. There is a pride within us. There is something innate in the flesh that wants to say, no, no, I did it. I did it. No, you didn't. Jesus did it. He paid the price. He paid it all. Jesus plus something will only equal condemnation for you. Listen, it is a Jesus plus nothing gospel. 
And that is the gospel that Paul himself is writing. Paul, uh, you know, was called by Jesus himself, and he was given this message by Jesus himself, that salvation was, listen to this, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, period. That's it. Jesus said this himself in John 3, 16 through 18. Jesus is speaking here. He says, you know the verse, for God so loved the world. There's the reason why he did what he did. It was for love's sake. He gave his only son. That is grace. Jesus Christ is a manifest grace of God made come in the flesh that God gave his only son that whoever believes, that is faith. Believing without having to see Jesus actually be born, die on the cross, you know, die and then raise again from the dead, but to believe it because God's word says it. It's by faith. By faith, whoever believes in him, that is Christ, should not perish but have eternal life. Listen, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Now, I told you last week what grace stands for. Anybody remember what that acronym stands for? God's riches at Christ's expense. It is by grace that we are saved. Judaizers do not like grace. Religious people do not like grace. They want God's riches through personal works. They want to contribute to what Jesus has done. You can't do it. It's by grace through faith. These Judaizers were telling these Christians in Galatia that they must become proselytes. That is, that they ought to convert to Judaism and then as they, through circumcision, and then as they would convert to Judaism, then they must also follow the law to be saved. That is the message of the Judaizer. No, no, it's not just Jesus. That's great. Jesus came and he died and all, but, but really the, the reality is you have, to be, you have to follow the law in order to be saved. You have to be circumcised if you're a dude, and if you are, then you, know, you must do that. And once you do that, then you're con- converting to Judaism if you're a Gentile. You're saying, I, I want to serve the God of Israel. And then, and then you have to follow the law meticulously like they did. That was the message. That was a, they, these guys missed the entire point of why Jesus came. Jesus is not even in the equation as it relates to that. So it isn't even Jesus plus something. It's just law. Just law. But, but they missed the point. Jesus came to set us free. And in fact, Paul says in Galatians 5.1, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. That means we are not to shackle ourselves back up to the law once we've been set free to live a life of freedom. Not free to do whatever you want. That's not the point. And that's what legalists love to bring it back to. Well, of course, yeah, you can do whatever you want. You can be saved and all of that. No, that is not the point. The point of the law was to point us to Christ, as we will see as we work through this book. But the reality is that many of us, even in our walk, as we walk with the Lord a little bit more, we start to get back into a little bit of more of a works-based relationship with God. We are shackling ourselves back up to the law in that sense. We're trying to get merited favor from God when you have unmerited favor from God. It does not work. God wants you to know that it was for freedom Christ sets you free. So you can walk in freedom and you can serve him in freedom. You can love him in freedom. You can do all that you do in freedom, not bound because he said to do it, but you're doing it because you are bound by love. 
It's, it's your act of service to Him. It's your worship to God that you are doing all that you're doing. That's the point. That's, what he, that's why He set us free. Now, here's the thing. Works play a role in our lives. They do. It's, you know, by works, we will be rewarded in heaven. What we did with Jesus after we came to Christ and how we lived our lives will be judged by the Lord in the sense that He will say, hey, what did you do with your life after I set you free? How did you use that freedom? That's the only judgment a believer will stand before the Lord. And it was more of a reward ceremony than anything. So here's the thing. You have the opportunity to really serve the Lord with all your heart. And the Lord will reward you for that. He is not a debtor to no man. He will reward you for that. But we don't do that because of that. We do it because we love him. But here's the thing is, there is evidence of your salvation through your works. That is the primary function of works is that it is evidence that Christ is working in you. And in fact, you will, you will obey his word because you love him. You know, just as much as, you know, a a child to a parent. You know, I I love my mom. I love my dad. I love, you know, them so much that I don't want to disappoint them. And so I'm going to do these things that they're set in front of me to do because it's good for me. But I'm going to do them not because I have to, but because I want to, because I love them. That's the point. You will do them. I'm not talking, not religiously, but relationally. Now, here's what John said. Listen to this. This is very important because this blows the liberal gospel, the watered-down gospel out of the water. And it is not by works. It's not a works-based salvation scripture. Here's what it is. 1 John 2, 3 through 5, it says this. And by this we know that we have come to know him. You want evidence in your life that you know Jesus? Listen up. If we keep his commands, whoever says I know him, but does not keep his commands is a liar. That's in the New Testament, by the way. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. The love of God is perfected. How is it perfected? It's through Christ. It's through the cross. How does it look in my life? It's through my works. It's manifest out of my life. It's an outward action that says I've been perfected in love. And so I'm operating in love. I'm giving myself over to the Lord because I love him. And I'm doing these things not because I have to, because I want to. I love him. And I love what he stands, what he's done for me. Works are the evidence of our salvation, not the means of it. That brings us to where we will pick it up this morning in verse 10. Stand with me real quick. We're just going to read this one verse. And we stand in reverence of the word of God. That's why we stand every week. Because we are about to read God's word. This is his word to you. Here's what it says. Galatians chapter 1 verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were, sell, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, God. And we ask you to come and just, uh, just transform our lives, Lord. May we have a collision with grace this morning that so uh, just overwhelms us, God, that we bend our knees to you, God, in whatever ways we need to. We want to surrender everything to you because you surrendered everything for us. This morning, God, would you prepare our hearts as we remember the grace that you've given through this thing that we call communion as we remember the body and the blood of Jesus Christ that was given for us, not because we deserve it, but because you love us. 
Would you come now, speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. There is an old fable that's been passed down from generation to generation about an elderly man that was traveling with a boy and a donkey. (laughs) That's always a good start. They walked through a village, the man leading the donkey, the boy was walking behind. The townspeople said to the old man, you're a fool for not riding. So the man climbed up on the animal's back and he began to ride. When they came to the next village, the people said to the old man, how cruel are you to let that child walk behind you while you enjoy the ride? So to please them, he got off the donkey. He set the boy on the animal's back and continued on his way. They came to the third village. People accused the child of being lazy for making this old man walk, and they suggested that they ought to both ride. So, to please the people, the man climbed up on the back. Now both the man and the boy are on the donkey. They came to the fourth village. Oh, the townspeople were indignant at the cruelty of these two towards this donkey that he was made to carry two people, and therefore to please them. They, they both got off, and the last time that man was seen, he was carrying the donkey down the road to the next city. <laughs> I want to talk to you this morning about the troubles of people-pleasing. The troubles of people-pleasing. As the story illustrates, you'll never please everybody, nor should you attempt to. The only person you should attempt to please is the Lord, and that is simply through your obedience. Just by faith, You know, it's impossible to please him without what? Faith. Just living a life of faith, doing what the Lord would call you to do and and just living, you know, recklessly in that sense for him, not letting anything hinder you. If you try and please people, your life will end up, you will end up being a very frustrated and faithless person. And you will end up failing at it because it's impossible. Not only that, it will be to your detriment relationally and spiritually. Ask the Apostle Paul. He's been there and done that. And he wants to tell us in the very first thing that trying to please people will lead you away from Christ. Verse 10 there, if you're taking notes. Trying to please people will lead you away from Christ. We just read it. For I am now, for am I now seeking the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, I love the way this starts. You can circle that word in your Bible that says for, and you can... Don't write anything yet, but there are many, many different translations of that word, for. Of course, it means because, or it means, you know, yes, indeed, or certainly. It can mean what. It can mean why. But it's sometimes also translated there. There. This would seem to be the most appropriate translation of that word because it connects what Paul just said with what he's going to continue to say. It is a transitionary word. And so when you study the Bible and you look at words like that, connective words, you have to look at and say, okay, what's going on in the context of the passage? What is he saying before it? What is he saying after it so that we can get the gist of it? What Paul is saying here is there. Now, let me read that in context. So we're going to start at verse 6, and I want you to get the gist of what he's saying with the idea of thinking that these guys are saying Paul is a people pleaser, okay? He sent a people-pleasing gospel. Here's what he said in verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another, 
but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As I have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. There, am I now seeking to approve men or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I, still, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. He says all that to say this. Does it sound like I'm a people pleaser? Does it sound like what I just said is a people pleasing kind of statement? That if I or anyone else and even an angel from heaven were to come and preach another gospel contrary to the gospel that I've given you, if they were to do that, I would wish them accursed. I'm including myself in that message is what he said. Including me or Barnabas, or any of the other apostles, or anyone else for that matter, there is one gospel, and it is the gospel of, not of man, but of Christ. It is the gospel of Christ, and Paul says that I would wish that person a curse, literally anathema in the Greek. It means total destruction. Why would he be so mean? Why would he say it in such a way? Because the reality of rejecting the gospel of grace is condemnation, eternal damnation for God. The sentence is so stiff that Paul would say, I would wish anyone accursed, including myself, if I were to lead you astray down a path that you would end up be, hearing Jesus say, depart from me, I never knew you for all of eternity. Paul would say, I would wish that person accursed. Paul's gospel was not a people-pleasing gospel. It is the real gospel. He's not trying to please anyone. He'd done that before though. Did you catch it in verse 9? Where he said, if I were still trying to please man. If I were still trying to please man. Some of you really get what he's saying there because you're still trying to please man. You're trying to please man. You're trying to, you know, in some way get man to recognize you. Listen, if you're following Christ and you're allowing the, the fruit of the Spirit to come out in your life, God will exalt you not for your sake but for His sake. You don't have to try and exalt yourself. You don't have to do it. God, as you walk humbly before Him, He will lift you up. He will elevate you to a place for this purpose that He might get the glory. And I'll talk about that in a little bit. But, but here's the thing. The gospel Paul was preaching was not a gospel that he was trying to please man, but he had done that before. He, he had done that before. He, he persecuted uh, Jesus. Man persecuted Jesus. It was man that killed Jesus. It was man that ridiculed and mocked Jesus. Man uses Jesus' name as a curse word. Man is contrary to Jesus. And therefore, if you're trying to please people, you, you can't serve Jesus. That's what Paul said. If I'm still trying to please people then I will not be a servant of Christ because they're contrary. The world hates Jesus. The world does not want anything to do with Jesus. And yet, there, it's funny how that works because there are people that, you know, there are so many people in our world that claim to be respecters of Christ. Oh, I really respect Jesus. Oh, Jesus is the man, you know. And then when you use his word to speak into their life about how they're living, all of a sudden, Jesus is the bad guy. His word is not true. It's not absolute. And, uh, you know, you're to blame for it. That's the way man works. 
That's the way our hearts work if we're not careful. We have to be careful that we're not trying to please man because it will automatically push you away from Jesus. Oh, you're really going to that Bible study? You're really going to, to, to read your... You read that thing? You think that thing's real? Oh, I want to please people. Well, no, I don't. You're departing from Christ. You're departing from your relationship with Christ. Listen, we live in a culture, in a world uh, where we are being asked to be tolerant of every other lifestyle that exists in the world. And yet, the entire world is so intolerant of the lifestyle that you and I are trying to live. It is hypocrisy. But that is the flesh, is it not? That's what the flesh's capacity to do. It's, it's, it's the fruit of the flesh. The fruit of the flesh is hypocrisy. Don't do as I say. Or don't do as I do. Do as I say. Just be tolerant of me, even though I'm not tolerant of you. <laughs> Paul faced the same thing, folks. This is not new. This is the same old, same old. The, en- the enemy is not unique. He, is not, he doesn't create new schemes. He just uses the same old ones. Because guess what? They work. That's why he doesn't have to really work too hard about it. Listen, Jesus Christ has the capacity to polarize people. He has the capacity to bring people together for sure, but he also, that the name of Jesus has the capacity to cause great division and cause great discord amongst those who are of the flesh, who are unregenerated, who are not believers. You mention Jesus' name, and it will stop a conversation. It will stop a room full of people, you know, when they hear Jesus. Unless it's used in the derogatory sense, right? Then everybody's like, ah! Yeah, no. The name of Jesus has the ability to, to polarize man, and that's because the world hates Jesus. Matthew 24, 9. They will deliver you up to tribulation to put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my, my sake. You trying to please people? You're going to be hated. If you want to please people, then you have to depart Christ because they hate Christ. Uh, John 15, 18. The world hates you. Know that it also hated me before it hated you. Matthew 10, 22. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. Now, here's what it's not saying. Go make yourself hated. Many Christians are great at that. Many Christians are really good at that, to take the the signs up and to let people know how hateful they are, let people know that God is a God of hate, that he hates, hates you because of what you're doing. That is the wrong message. God loves us, but he does hate what we do. God loves us, but he does hate our sin. It's not acceptable to just continue on in a life of sin and to act like, you know, God's okay with it. God is not okay with it. God is not okay with sin ever. It, it doesn't matter how many times Christ were been crucified. He's not okay with sin. It cost his son's life. And so he is not okay with sin. But he does love you. It is unmerited. It's not something. He doesn't love you because you're good. He loves you because he created you. He's your father. He wants to be your father. He wants you to become his child. But contrary to popular belief, you're not automatically his child. You come to be his child by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. That's it. That's how you become a child of God. Not everyone is a child of God. And I know people have a problem with that, but that's what the Bible says. Even John, read 1 John. We've been going through it in young adults on Monday nights. And it just reiterates the message over and over and over again. You are, not everyone's a child of God. But everyone is a child of somebody. You're either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. You, you, 
you, ha you were born a child of the devil, but you have the opportunity to become a child of God. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's the only way. Paul is telling us here that if we want to please people, we will be led astray. We will be led away from Christ. Not only that, but secondly, if we're trying to uh, please people, we will be led away from the gospel of grace. Look at verse 11 there. For I would have you to know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul is being accused by these Judaizers of offering cheap grace. Oh, we know the term, right? Cheap grace. Oh, it doesn't cost you anything to come to Christ. You know, all you're doing is preaching that, that watered-down gospel that costs you nothing. No, no, actually, the, 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 God, the true gospel of grace costs you everything. The true gospel of grace costs you everything. It costs you your entire life. You are to surrender your whole life to Jesus. But here's what the Judaizer hears. What, all I need to do is pray a little prayer and then I'm saved. Is that what it is? Well, yes, it actually is. That's how you become saved. It's through surrender to Christ, but it's not in the words. It's in the heart. It is not in the words. You can say all the words in the world, and many of you have verbalized words, and you know what I'm talking about. There was no power in the words because there was no surrender in the heart. Jesus said, you, you want to come to me? He said this. Then you first must deny yourself. And what, he, what he's saying there is if you want to come to Christ for real, legitimately want to surrender your life to him, you have to deny yourself. And really, ultimately, Paul wrote it this way, you must confess him as Lord. The idea of confession is twofold. It's recognizing first and foremost, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. Like there's something wrong. I've done something wrong. I need to confess it. That, that involves repentance. It's twofold as well. So we got the twofold, twofold, okay? Repentance is confessing your sin and turning away from it. So part of that confession includes repentance. But also part of that confession also requires bowing the knee. It requires surrendering to Jesus Christ. It is saying, here I am, Lord. I'm all yours. Take me. And, and what Jesus does is he, he, crown, he crowns himself king of your heart. He comes into your life. It's by confession. And then that verse goes on in Romans chapter 10, 9. We are also supposed to believe that Christ was raised from the dead. So, so we have to confess him as Lord, surrender our full life to him. Then we have to believe that God raised him from the dead. Now, why the, why the resurrection? What's the big deal with the resurrection? Why do I have to believe in that? Because with no resurrection, there is no forgiveness of sins. Here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 16 through 19. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ had been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then faith, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all people, we are of all people most to be pitied. That's what he said. You have to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is proof, number one, that Jesus was a sufficient sacrifice for our sins. And if you don't believe that, then you know what? You can't be saved. It's the resurrection is the evidence that Jesus is 
sufficient to take away our sins. So, the gospel essential is this then. We must confess that Jesus died on on the cross for our sins, that he was buried for us, and we must believe that God raised him from the dead. That is the premise of the gospel. And the reason I do that is because I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I don't just say the prayer because I just, I, that's just the way you do it. That's just how you become a Christian. It is literally surrendering your entire life to him. And that means when you do that, he's in control and you are not. That means you do what he says and not what you want to do. That means you follow him with whatever it is that he calls you to do. No, I, I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to do this, Lord. I, I don't. Yeah, but that's what I created you to do. That's why you were born again, so that you could do that. So go do it. Yeah, but it, it doesn't make me feel good to go talk to people like that. It makes me feel weird and stuff. <laughs> it made me feel weird when I was hanging on the cross. <laughs> you know. So you know what I mean. So so here's the thing. Do what I say, because I'm your Lord. Remember, I got the keys to your life. I'm the driver. You're the passenger. Now, here's the thing. I I found in my life, as I surrender to the Lord more and more, that whatever it is that he's calling me to do is full of joy. Even though it might be difficult in the moment, there is joy in the morning. Like, there is so much joy. Even though I might be led into a place where it's just filled with ashes, God makes beauty out of it. As you surrender to Christ and you follow his path, you'll see that he had a better plan for you. And, and far more rich, richer than anything that you could have drummed up yourself. So follow him. That's the, that is the gospel message. But, but many people in our culture don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear the gospel of grace. And so if you want to be a people pleaser in our culture, you have to abandon the gospel of grace. Because here's what's hilarious. Our culture, the gospel's too narrow it's way too narrow. What do you mean there's only one way and I have to come this way and I'm a sinner? What? In Paul's culture, the gospel was too broad. What do you mean? Anybody and everybody can just come and pray this prayer and all? You see, here's what happens is it doesn't matter what side of the coin you live in, what era you live in, every Christian will deal with this. The reality is if you want to please people, you will have to depart the gospel of grace. You will either be, have to become way more liberal or you have to become way more legalistic. One or the other, because that's man. Man is not in balance with what, and we're not, we, don't, we don't just get in balance to be in balance. We're, we want to have a biblical balance in our understanding of God's word, a biblical balance. God is a balanced God. He is a, he is a God that is, he is just and loving and, and, you know, he is righteous and holy and all of these things all at the same time. He is also judge and, and all of these different things, but it's in balance, because he's a God of balance, and therefore he gives us a gospel that is a balanced gospel. He's not calling us to legalism. He's not calling us to liberalism. He's calling us to love, pure and simple. And, and so, therefore, Paul is saying, man, if you want me to, to please people, then I have to abandon the gospel of grace. I didn't receive the message from man. Did you see what he said there? He said, I received it by revelation of Jesus Christ himself. That is the three years in Arabia where Paul sat at the feet of Jesus and Jesus Christ himself gave him the gospel. There was no New Testament. Paul would write 13 or perhaps 14 of the books of the New Testament. He would be the writer. And so he had to receive it through revelation. And so he would sit at the feet of Jesus and Jesus for three years would give him, would dump in this gospel of grace. I can see it now. What do you mean? 
You don't have to follow the law? What do you mean? I don't have to do anything for this? What do you mean you love me just because you love me? You don't, what do you mean you're relating to me because, uh, through your son and not through what I've done? I don't understand all that. Paul was a legalist. He had tried to please man. He had lived by the law to the fullest degree of, of anyone that, you know, he excelled above everyone else, he said. He was an incredible Judaizer that was snuffing out the church. So you can imagine the struggle of receiving the gospel of grace. Now, some of you are, have adapted to it very quickly. It took Paul three years. Some of you don't get it yet. And I hope you do because it's a wonderful thing. But, but let me tell you this. You'll never get to the end of that. I don't care how long you ponder it. I don't care how long you study it. You'll never get to the end of it that Jesus Christ, while you were still a sinner, died for you. That he died for you. That's how much he loves you. That's grace. And it is an amazing thing. Paul said, you want to try to please people? You will be led away from the gospel. Now, Paul goes on here and he gives us his own personal testimony. We, we find in the next few verses through the end of the chapter, we find the pre-conversion of Paul, the conversion, and the post-conversion of Paul. If you're wondering how to share your testimony, this is it. This is a very simple format. Pre-conversion, conversion, post-conversion. I don't care who you are or what, if you were raised in the church, weren't raised in the church, it does not matter. Every one of us has those three things in our life. We have a pre-conversion story, what, what, what we were doing before we came to Christ. We have a conversion story. What happened, you know, that point where, where we surrendered our life to Christ. And I promise you, you'll remember that. But when you surrender your heart to Christ and you give lordship over, and then thirdly, then you will also have a post-conversion story, what Christ is now doing in your life as a result of making him lord of your life. And so that, that is a very simple format and to be able to share your testimony with people. Here's who I was, here's how I met Jesus, and this is who I am now. Okay, so we're going to look at that. Paul says in verse 13, here's the pre-conversion testimony of Paul. He said, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous that I was I for the traditions of my fathers. Paul, notice, he says, before Christ, I was a people pleaser. I was a people pleaser. I wanted to please the fathers, the, 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 the head, you know, the, the Sanhedrin. I wanted to please all these elders, the priests. I want to please all the upper echelon Jews because I wanted to be there. Almost an arrogant pride. Now, here, here's what I will say. I think Paul had a, had a genuine desire to follow the Lord. You know, and, and I think that because God had put that in his heart, I think. You know, but, but here's the reality is, is that he thought he was uh, you know, following the Lord, but he was following man. He was following the man, and he was trying to please man through following this man-centered religious system. This wasn't God's religious system, by the way. This is not Old Testament Judaism that existed in Jesus' day or even after the rebuilding of Jerusalem, after the um, Babylonian exile. It was not the real deal that God had handed to Moses and the rest to institute the Old Covenant. That, that was not the same system. This was a man-made system. In fact, they had 1,613 different commands that they were to follow. These were man-centered uh, you know, commands that all came from the point of the Babylonian exile when Jerusalem was being rebuilt, uh, all the Jews and the scribes came together and they said, let's not even get near the line. Let's make laws that keep us even away from the line. And that's how it all started. It was all innocent and good until they thought that they were made righteous by these silly little laws that they made. 
you know, and there's nothing wrong with putting boundaries in your life. You should. But when those boundaries become legalism and you start to make them a way of salvation or you start to make them a way of, of gaining merit or favor for, for God, you have fallen into this category of legalism. For freedom, Christ has set you free. That's how you're supposed to live. But, but these guys were doing that, and, and Paul was doing that. He was living that way. In fact, he says, I, was, I have such a pedigree that I was living far beyond anybody around me. In fact, I was selling so, excelling so greatly in the Jewish religion that everybody was looking to me. Paul, you're the man, and he was the man. In fact, he was so zealous that he would persecute the church, that he would wipe it out. It was Paul's charge. He said, give me charge to go and wipe out this false gospel, this, this false you know, religious system. Let me go wipe it out. And so that's what he went to do. That was his pre-conversion story. He observed the law. He persecuted those who did not observe the law. He was um, living for man and not for God. And then everything changed on the road to Damascus. Here's his conversion story, verse 15. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Paul tells about how he was converted. Now, you can read it in detail in Acts chapter 9. I'm not going to go into it just for sake of time, but you can read that later. Paul had a conversion. He had a collision with Christ on the road to Damascus. It was, it was a collision of grace for a very, very religious man. He says that he was called by he who had set him apart before he was born. That is to say that Paul was preordained to be an apostle by Jesus before he was born. Before he was born. Notice the ordination of, of this calling has nothing to do with Paul. Has everything to do with God. Has nothing to do with Paul has nothing to do with who he'll become, has nothing to do with the fact that he sat under Gamaliel and he learned all these religious things and he has the piece of paper from the man that said he went to school for this and that, has nothing to do with that, has to do with the very thing that he said, that he was set apart from the foundation of the world, that before he was created, God called him to be an apostle. Now, if you look at that, you have to ask yourself the question, if that is the case, then I'm created for a purpose. You have to... You have to look. You, you can't take that out of Scripture. It's in multiple places. This is not Arminianism where, where it's all you and you've done it all. You've done everything. You know, and that's what the Arminists would say. It's by my will that I've come to be saved. No. You were chosen. You were predestined. From the foundation of the world, the Lord knew your name. And he called you to come to salvation. But that also, if we go to the extreme of that, is Calvinism. And so there's a Balance, listen, biblical balance here. There's a biblical balance, and I'll, I'll get into it in a second. But, but here's the reality is you, you, Paul was called from before he was born to be an apostle. And, and what I want you to consider is what did God create you for? If that is the case, if he is, you know, salvation 100% works of God, amen? Like for real, right? It's, it's all God, right? No, nothing you can do. So we, that premise is gone. We, we don't do anything. God's done it all. In fact, the Word tells us that He gives us the, the faith to believe, you know, and, and so that's the reality. But if He's done everything, then that means if He called me to salvation, if He's allowed, extended the hand of salvation, then He created me for something, like I'm saved to do something. And I keep preaching this message over and over again because it needs to be heard, just like 1 John. 
you know, he keeps saying it's about love, it's about love, it's about love, it's about love. You know, you were saved to, for works, for something. God created you to do something. It's to bring him glory. And he uses that calling in your life to elevate him. Although he will lift you up, you will end up uh, giving all the glory to him. And you should. Don't you dare take his glory. He will strip you very quickly of your ministry. But here's the reality is you were created and God ordained you for something from the foundation of the Lord before you were even created. He, you're not just a thought to him. Like you were, for, you were for real before you were created. Like he loved you before you created. And he said, I'm going to create Tim to stand at Calvary Chapel, Columbia, you know, and he's going to plant that church and he's going to preach the gospel to these people, whoever would come there. And those people that would come there, they're going to get planted in here and I'm going to send, because I created them from the foundation of the world. I put purpose in their lives and I put gifting in their lives and I put a calling on their lives so that they can, you know, fulfill the ministry that they've been called to. Not just in the local church and that's where we get messed up. A calling doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the gathering, although it can. The calling has everything to do with the gospel. It has nothing to do with trying to build something here, a kingdom here. It has everything to do with building the kingdom of God. So what I am saying is like, hey, get plugged in and make sure you serve so that we can get more people in the doors and we can get, you know, fill these seats up and all. No, that's not the, the reality. If God wants that to happen, it'll happen. Why? Because he's sovereign. And if he wants more people to come, he'll send them. And here's the reality. We are sent, though, as well. We're called to go into the world. And there is a harvest. Balanced biblical doctrine. God is sovereign, but we are sent. You see? It's simple. <laughs> Not. Not really. But, but, but that is the reality. Paul was set apart from the foundation of the world to be an apostle. What are you set apart for? What are you called to? His ordination had nothing to do with him. It was by grace. And, and God revealed his son to Paul on the way to Damascus. He had a collision with Christ. And listen, his purpose was then to take, take the gospel to the Gentiles. It was the very opposite thing that he would have wanted to do, I'm sure, as being a studious Jew and knowing the word of God and all that. He would have thought, well, of course, it's a no-brainer that God would call me to the Jews and Peter the Gentiles because Peter's a blue-collar dude that doesn't know as much as I do. I'm so so, you know, versed in the, in the laws and all, I should be the one to take it to the Jews. And every time Paul tried to take, what did he do in his missionary journeys? He'd go, the first place he would go in every city was where? The synagogue. What would happen? He'd start a riot. It's just, he'd just start a riot. The Lord is trying to say something. Hey, you shouldn't be there. You should be over where the Gentiles are preaching the gospel to them because that's what you're called to. Some of us are trying to fulfill somebody else's ministry, and we're, we're, you know, we're trying to do that. We keep facing obstacles and different things, and we're just like, well, how come I keep facing this? Why am I keeping bouncing up against this? Maybe because you're doing somebody else's work. And until you move out of the way and let that person rise up, you know, you're going to be a hindrance to the Lord. And, but he's sovereign, exactly. I know. It's the way it works. You can't outfool him. You can't outsmart him. But you, you can get in the way, but he will maneuver because that's God. He does those things. He is sovereign, though. And um, so here we have Paul, and he says, I've been called to preach the gospel. That's the conversion. I have a call on my life, and it was from before the foundation of the world, just like you do. And then we have the post-conversion. Look at verse 16. It be there. I did not immediately consult with anyone, 
Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days, but I saw none of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. That is not to say that he was an apostle. He's just saying he didn't see any of the apostles, you know, kind of comma, but I did see James, the brother of Jesus. Um, In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the region of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. The the beginning of Paul's conversion story, um, this is the beginning of his post-conversion story here where he got saved, and what did he do? He didn't Immediately go up to Jerusalem and say, hey, guys, I'm saved. What do you think of that? Look at the work the Lord's done. No, because he, he needed to be discipled because God set him apart from before the foundation of the world to be an apostle. He wasn't going to Jerusalem to get some credentials. He had to be discipled by Christ. He had to understand what his calling was. And so he went to the desert, which Arabia is probably not proper Arabia as we know it today, but it was probably just at the desert area outside of Damascus. So he went outside of Damascus for a period of time, and he got discipled by Jesus. Now, my chronology was messed up a little bit last week, so that's why you got to read your Bibles, and uh, make, you, know, you, can, you can confront me with that truth. But here's the chronology of it. Jesus, our, uh, Paul, after three years, goes back to Damascus. He goes there, probably ministers or whatever. Then he says, okay, I'm going to go up to Jerusalem. I'm going to go let, and God just so happened to be that God, none of, not, probably not all of the apostles were there, only Peter. And so Peter meets with Paul, probably a little bit shaky. You know, he's like, I don't know, man, is this guy legit or whatever? And uh, has a conversation with Peter. And we'll get into this later because he has, a, he has a confrontation with Peter next week. But he gets into this with Peter, tells him what happened. And then he meets James, the brother of Jesus as well. Jesus had brothers and sisters. He did not have a wife. He did not have children. Okay, so he did have brothers and sisters, though, and they were half-brothers and sisters. So it's in the Bible. <laughs> Children and a wife is not in the Bible. That's why we don't believe it, right? But, but here's the thing, is that um, Paul went up. He talked to those guys. Then he went over to Cilicia. He went probably there. That's where he was planted in Antioch, where then he was separated out by the Holy Spirit for he and Barnabas to go into the mis- first missionary journey where he planted these churches, and that's, that was his post. This is so far, and you can read the rest of Paul's post-conversion story in the book of Acts from pretty much chapter 9 on, you know, particularly from 11 on, 10, 12 on, it's all about Paul. And it's all about what God is doing through him in the Gentile churches and how God is using him. You get to 13 and 14, he's Lystra, Derby, and he's, he's being, you know, Iconium and, and Antioch of Pisidia and, and He's in the area of Galatia, and he's planting churches, and he's sharing the gospel. You get to the end of um, the, the, the Acts, the book of Acts, and you see Paul's being, being told that if he goes back to Jerusalem, he's going to be bound and shackled, and you know, he's going to be tormented by man, and yet he, the Holy Spirit, he believes, is sending him there, so he goes. Guess what? That's what happened. His post-conversion story we have recorded for us in many of the New Testament books as well, even his last epistles. As he says, I've run the race. I've finished my race well. He didn't run aimlessly. He ran with purpose. He ran with the very purpose that God had put in his heart. So that, that is his, up to this point, um, it says that the people in Judea 
had not even known about Paul. All they knew that they didn't know about really so much about, they knew that Saul had become Paul, but they weren't super sure about it. But here's what happened is they glorified God as a result of it. That is to say this, that God can get glory out of your pre-conversion, out of your conversion, and out of your post-conversion. Like he uses your pre-conversion to relate to people so that they don't think that God is only calling the perfect because guess what? If he calls the perfect, none of us qualify. So he calls sinners to repentance, right? And then, then we come to that place where he called us from the foundation of the world, he called your name. And he said, I've chosen you. I've set you apart for a purpose. I want to extend my hand of grace to you and give you salvation. All you have to do is receive it. So I've given you the capacity to do that. You just do that. All you have to do is reach out. It's a gift. So you take that gift, and then you have a conversion story. You could tell people, man, this is who I was. And when I met Jesus, it was incredible because he saw who I was, and then he made me who I am. And you can talk about how that conversion happened. Immediately when I, when I got saved, you know, the thing, I, I was a different person. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5.17, anybody's in Christ, new creation. All the old things have passed away. You've become new. You're a new person. So that conversion story, and then you go on. To, to let the Lord use you in whatever capacity that he called you to and your post-conversion story, and people are going to go, I used to know you, and I used to know how you were, and how does that work? You had a conversion, and now you're, wait a second, you're a pastor? You know, I, I'm probably the least, the least person out of anybody at my town that they thought would be a pastor, not growing up in the church and didn't ever talk about Jesus, had nothing to do with all, any of that really, and, all, and yet God called me, and people would go like, whoa, what? You're a pastor? Yeah, I am. Why? Because God called me to. Because God extended his hand of grace to me, and he loved me, and he loves you too, and he wants to do that in your life. Will you let him? If you're a people pleaser, you will not. If you're a people pleaser, you will reject his hand because those who try to please people will push Christ away and they'll push the gospel away because people don't like Christ and they don't like the gospel. They want to make their own way to their own Lord, whoever that might be, and want to make multiple ways in that case. That is not true. That is a lie from the pit of hell. There is one way, and if you try and please people, you will abandon it. Jesus said, the road that leads to destruction is wide and many go that way, but the road that leads to life is narrow and few go by it. The question is this this morning. Where do you sit with the Lord? Are you trying to please people? Maybe you're not a believer at all, and you're here trying to please people, and yet God's saying, I want you to come by faith. I want you to come and please me. I want you to bow your knee to me this morning. Maybe you, you're, you're saved, and you've been trying to live this Christian life, trying to please people, and you're miserable. Exactly, that's the way that works. You will never, ever be able to do that. You can't serve two masters, folks. You can serve Jesus and Jesus alone. You can't please people. Now, you know, maybe you're here and you're doing everything God's called you to do and you're, um, you know, you're saying, I, I've, I have the conversion story down and all that, but I'm still not sure exactly what I'm doing. Just keep serving him. Get on your face before him. Seek him. Just keep loving people and loving Jesus and that's exactly what you're called to do and he'll make everything else come out. He will reveal himself to you in your time. But, you know, like I said before, they're, they're, the, the part we play in that is the seeking of him. It's the surrender to him. He has to prepare you for the place that you need to be in order to be used. 
And, you know, here's also to say this. Don't assume that whatever he called you here to today won't change. Don't assume that he won't call you to something, you know, here, and then two years later he might call you to something different because he created you for whatever he wants to do, and it, whatever he wants to do is going to get him glory. So all you got to do is simple, just follow him. So Jesus said, come and follow me, amen? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for just the, the, the depth and the riches of what we find in these few verses in chapter 1 of Galatians. How amazing it is, Lord, that you have called a man like Paul who calls himself, even at the end of his life, the chief of all sinners. That You could take a man like this that would persecute you, Jesus, that would take such a hard stance against you to the point that he would even kill people thinking that he was doing your service, Lord. And yet, he had a collision with Christ on that road to Damascus and his life changed. And he was, he, he was in three years, he found out all the amazing things about what God had created him to do. And he had received the gospel of grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. God transformed his life. And it's great that we can reminisce about what he's done in Paul's life. But this morning, Lord, you want to talk to us personally. You want to speak into our lives. You want us to know that you've called us for something, that you've set us apart from the foundation of the world, Lord, to be something that would bring you glory, to be a people that would be humble, Lord, and not try and uh, build anything ourselves, but God would be totally about your kingdom. We ask you this morning, Father, if there's anyone here this morning that needs salvation, you draw them to yourself. It's not a work of man. It's not a simple prayer that we pray, and it's all good, but it is by, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And it is a prayer, but it's a sincere prayer. It's a simple prayer that says, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner, and I need you this morning. And I'm asking you to come into my life. I'm asking you to be the Lord of my life. I'm repenting of my sin, and I'm turning to you this morning. I need forgiveness, Lord. Will you forgive me? Will you take me as I am, God? And we know you say, of course I will. You continue on, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for me. You rose again from the dead for me. And I want to make you the Lord of my life. In a simple, sincere prayer like that, Lord, you will by no means cast a person out. You will receive them in. Because you called them, you ordained them. You've given them the faith to believe. Lord, for believers in this place this morning, God, whether it's the fallen away believer to the person that's, you know, right on track with you, God, will you just meet us where we are? That's the kind of God you are. You love us right where we are, and you make us who you want us to be. And we know it's a process. So we ask you this morning in that sanctification process that you would, Lord, remove the chaff from our lives. God, remove the things in our lives that don't belong as we surrender to you this morning, God, in wholeness of heart, as we are preparing our hearts to, to come before you in communion. Lord, your word tells us to don't come to the table carelessly, but we're to come to the table sincerely, recognizing who we are, Lord, recognizing our faults, our failures, but recognizing who Jesus is. And that he has taken the burden for us. He has paid the price. 
We're not coming and relating to you by law, but by grace. So this morning, God, will you have your way? We ask you to help us to take, partake of your, the Lord's Supper this morning, God, in wholeness, God, in purity, Lord, in truth. So we just lift you up. We thank you for this time, God, and as we continue on to worship, that you would get glory, Lord. May your spirit move in this place even now, we pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.